Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. Today we sit down with the one and only Neo Loki of YouTube fame. Quick note, there's some technical issues in this episode. I had a weird echo going on that I couldn't quite shake out. I tried to edit around it. Any blame for that should be laid at my hands, and definitely not Neo Loki's. Enjoy the episode. Did you see um, the Eli Roth um, Dark Souls 3 uh, video that he did? I did. I did not like it very much. (laughs) Yeah. You know, at first I thought it was really toony. Um, But I didn't mind it towards the end. It kind of started feeling a little bit more like Dark Souls. There was an old game, um, uh, a, a, a game at the arcade. It was like this kind of adventure land type of game. I, I can't remember what it's called, but it had the same graphics, and I, that was really disturbing to me because it totally didn't capture how Dark Souls should feel at all. It reminded me of that old, um, I think it was like Dragon's Lair, maybe? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With the, it could, the, they had the, old, the QTEs like where you had to do the certain movements at certain times. Yeah, um, and I never got past like 10 seconds of that game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that game came out for uh, some modern day consoles. I think it came out on the 360 or something, and oh. it was it was really dumb to play it without having to put quarters in it, like a, like a lot of those <laughs> arcades games are. Like as soon as you can just hit continue, like it ruins half the fun out of those games. Yeah, I bet. I, bet. I thought it was. I thought that trailer was especially towards the end. I thought by itself was cool. I just didn't think that it was like very Dark Souls at all. Like with the weird creature summoning thing and all the blood and all that stuff. Like it seemed like very. I don't want to pull off like the Miyazaki touch or whatever, but like it seemed like very anti Dark Souls aesthetic. Yeah, no, he has a really gothic um, aesthetic in everything he does, um, and it comes through in all those games. I think that's why Dark Souls Two is so different, and it kind of stands out in the series, is because it kind of doesn't feel like a Dark Souls game at all. It feels like somebody else made the game, and they kind of did, but. Um, and then the same thing with that video. It just didn't have any of the aesthetics of that Dark Souls. And that's why you want to play the game. I mean, there's a number of reasons. But one of them is because you get that, that beautiful, dark, kind of uh, gothic quality to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, And on the other side of that, like I watched the Grindhouse trailer that came out. And that almost seemed like it was despite not really having to do anything with souls like i guess i just appreciate that aesthetic more than i do the eli roth stuff so i'd like i liked that tra- that trailer a whole lot more than i liked anything else than i liked the other one excuse me i think it says something how big this uh release is going to be that eli roth is actually making a a dark souls trailer you know i mean that's pretty ridiculous did you see um there's a video that came out today of uh kumail nanjani and um Oh, what's the other guy whose name I always forget? Ty something, I think. He was in, He was the comedy relief in Daredevil, or uh, not Daredevil, and Deadpool. Uh-huh. They're the two guys that play on Silicon Valley, but apparently they got early access to the game and somebody recorded a video of them playing it, and I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> this is just, like, me and you have talked on Twitter before about this being a huge AAA release. Like, it's not for, like, us niche, our, our niche audience or anything anymore. Like, it's, it's definitely worldwide. It's a huge thing. And, yeah, it just... No, I mean, we started out playing Dark Souls when Dark Souls was kind of just the, the little kid, you know, that sits in the corner, and he's geeky and cool, and you want to get to know him, and now Dark Souls is kind of like the big strutting jock walking down the hallway, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's time to adapt a little bit, I think, <laughs> but it'll make it interesting, especially when it re- gets released worldwide, because, uh, um, I mean, the, the online activity is going to be enormous, you know, and there's always going to be people on there. So. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, and I'm really hopeful that, like, it's going to be a pretty smooth launch. Um, Dark Souls 2 was relatively smooth. Bloodborne had its issues with loading times and some connectivity problems. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be really smooth because, oh, man, I cannot I cannot wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so excited. Well, I mean, I'm trying to get I've... a lot of stuff done before this thing comes out so I can devote my whole week next week to it. Yeah, I mean, everything I've read so far... It seems like the connectivity is really good. I mean, it's going to change once it's it goes worldwide. But so far, there's been no complaints. I haven't, other than it being kind of fan service, 
um, and uh, um, kind of same old, which I don't really accept that too much. Um, there hasn't been too much bitching from the from the critics or even the people playing it and streaming it right now. Yeah, I've got several friends that um, have gotten the game early, and um, hopefully, I'll have some of them on this on this podcast at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But I have several friends that have gotten it early that are really sensitive to me being sensitive about spoilers. So they'll like reach out and like, "Hey, what's your favorite weapon class?" And I'm like, "Probably great swords." And they're like, "You're gonna be real happy." <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be considered a spoiler too. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you were watching spoilers. I, one of the po- the last podcasts I listened to with uh, um, is Sean, the lore hunter. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You guys were talking about that. You and one of the others were um, actually doing the spoilers. Yeah, me and me and Cliff were until um, that was recorded right before the full game got out there, and they uh-huh. started releasing like like Vadi had like a five hour video of basically the first five hours of the game, and yeah. it became increasingly impossible to like avoid. What what happened to me is I was watching Vadi's video and it gets into the first area of the game and um, it I was like why am I watching somebody else do this This is dumb. Uh, <laughs> I like knowing trailer. I like watching trailers. I like watching. I like knowing mechanics. Um, I don't really think, consider those are spoilers. Like I don't want to see bosses. I don't want to see boss names. I don't want to see area names. But like. Yeah. And I, I made I made fun of this on Twitter the other day of like how I would market Dark Souls three. Like I definitely would have just like made uh, some cool animations uh, or some cool animated gifs of like weapon move sets. Like because that's what I want to see. Like that's yeah. what I care about. Like I don't care yeah. about the bosses. Like I want to see that in situ. Like I don't give a damn about that right now. So I just eventually I just closed my eyes to it altogether. Yeah. Um, are you all in? Have you been watching all the streams and all the footage coming? No, out? no, 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 not at all. Um, I, I actually, I've been, I've been doing the same exact thing, sorry, the same exact thing you are in that I I was watching trailers and, and I think I watched the little thing about the dagger, you know, um, Mm -hmm. dagger moveset. Um, and then once everything was released and once people were streaming and things were coming onto YouTube, I'm just, I shut it down. I'm not even looking at the subscriptions on my YouTube channel anymore. You know, so I, I just don't want to see anything. I can no. wait. I can wait a couple weeks and now a couple days. <laughs> I think this might be good for me when we start talking about YouTube subscriptions because um, for a long time my my YouTube subscriptions were 100% Dark Souls, and uh, mm-hmm. I've been over the last few weeks having to filter those out and unsubscribe from a lot of people just so because I, I use YouTube to, like watch stuff. <laughs> I don't want to see Dark Souls three in my YouTube feed when I'm when I'm looking at st- stuff to watch. So yeah, I think this might be good just for as like a as a house cleaning thing. And if like they they make good enough videos for me to resub down the line, then I will. But like it's like this might be a good place to kind of start over. If that makes sense. You no, know, it does. I mean, it starts getting out of hand when you're getting over a hundred subscribers and you're like, who's that? You know, type of thing. <laughs> um, I don't watch as much stuff on YouTube, but uh, I spend a lot of time on it still. Well, speaking anyway. of YouTube, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about your videos and how how you started making those because, um, I, and this is not me just kissing your ass or blowing smoke up your ass or anything. Like, I, I think you have one of the more I don't want to say voices, but let's say voices, unique voices on YouTube when it comes to Souls videos. Um, a lot of people out there when they do lore videos, it's you know, a, a dude talking over footage, or it's a, a little guy in a corner with a webcam, you know, talking about over footage, talking about lore, or something like that, or it's stuff like I do, which is like goofy PvP videos. Mm-hmm. But you, you have this whole design and this whole aesthetic, and I, I see you like writing poetry inspired by the game and implementing that stuff. Where, where did that come from? Like, were you into video production before this, and this just kind of came a hook, or like, where did all that stuff come from? What is the origin of Neo Loki? <laughs> no. Give me your origin story. <laughs> well, the origin of Neo Loki itself is from a, a cat I had for a really long time, who was one of the coolest animals I've ever had. Um, but uh, um, let's see. You know, Marcus. Um, I was reading one of his tweets one time, and a guy was asking him to um, watch his stuff. And for whatever reason, Marcus actually responded to the, to the guy. And he apparently went over and watched whatever and came back. And I'm assuming the guy was doing playthroughs, because that's how most people start. Um, and so what he said was, it's like you have to give a, um, the audience a reason to come to your channel. You have to give them something a little different other than 
the normal thing everybody else is making because there's always going to be somebody that's doing it better than you you are you know whether it's through production quality their voice or just their their general knowledge so at that time i was making a few uh kind of like um i don't know boss guides and just random things and it was fine but it was the channel was never going to go anywhere doing that and i went to art school and have painted through most of my life um so i have that kind of uh sense of aesthetic and approach when i'm making videos so i think what i wanted to do was bring something unique to the channel bring something unique to the um to the uh, uh game to the dark souls community other than just sitting here and talking i don't really have the voice for it either and i stumble over my words i get nervous so it was i tried it a couple times and I've had a few people listen to it, and I couldn't stomach it, so I couldn't imagine anybody else <laughs> stomaching it either. So, you know, I wasn't so egotistical that I was going to force that onto people. So pretty much, um, you know, I got in the community um, about three or four months before Dark Souls 2 came out. And um, I'd played Demon Souls when it came out before, but uh, um, I didn't really start paying attention to the YouTube community until um mostly it was just through anticipation of dark souls 2 coming out so i started watching um enb and so every morning i would wake up make breakfast turn on the television and watch one of his videos and <clears throat> i just thought it was really cool that this really normal guy was on here talking about himself playing the game exceptionally well and just being a human being somebody that everybody can relate to you know, so I'm like, wow, this is such a cool medium. I mean, do, and, and so eventually it got to the point where, like, you know, maybe I, I kind of want to do something like this. I kind of want to be involved. Um, but later on, it wasn't until I saw Sunlight Maggot's uh, movies he was making for Dark Souls um, that I was like, wow, you can do that? You can make a movie out of the <laughs> damn game? I mean, it was just a revelation. I couldn't believe it, like. I would have never thought of that, that you could organize all the clips in such a manner as to make up your own story or mimic the story of the actual game. So to me, that was just the coolest thing ever. But in my living situation, I didn't have a lot of extra finances. I thought there would be a big investment, and I just never got into it. So once the PS4 came out, I realized that I could do this, and then gradually improved the quality of the stuff I was making the videos with. And then from there, it was mostly just my own sense of aesthetics. I mean, once I figured out that the boss guides and the sh that stuff wasn't going to work for me, um, I had the idea of making a video um, surrounding all those uh, suicides or whatever you want to call them um, in the Hunter's Dream. Um, the Hunter's Dream that's in Yarnum. Um, right underneath the doll, there was just this lava flow of, you know, <laughs> of people where people had killed themselves in front of it. And I thought that was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Why are all these people <laughs> killing themselves in front of the doll? <laughs> and I actually came across an article talking about that, too. So over the course of a couple of weeks, I just started coming up with different ideas. I put a, a video together. It was pretty low res and it was, it's still kind of okay, but it's not really well, all that well done. Um, but then it went from there. I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. You know, these are the kind of videos I want to make. I'm not going to get a lot of subscribers from doing this because it's weird. No one looks for it. No one has a reason to look for it. But it's what I want to do. So, But that's the kind of stuff that, um, as a guy that has consumed way too much Souls content on YouTube over the last... I don't know how many years, probably 2009 or 10, whenever Dark Souls came out. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I, I look for. Like, I look for the strange videos and look for the weird videos. Um, seeing a guy post a PvP montage where he, you know, destroys three people, and then that's the end of the clip over some, mm -hmm. like, you know, dubstep techno bullshit. Like, <laughs> I'm just not, That's I just don't want to watch those videos anymore. At a, at a point, like, when I first started playing Dark Souls, like, I wanted to see that stuff, but it was... What really draws me to this community is the the weird, the weirdness. I guess like the 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 people out there just doing strange things. Um, like there's a there's a lot of intelligent, really intelligent, creative people making stuff uh, in the Dark Souls community. It's pretty impressive. It really is. Like, and 
I don't consider myself one of them <laughs> at all. <laughs> at all. Um, but like, you know, you, you look at some people's YouTube channels and you're like, wow, like they, they're just doing an amazing job. And that's, I'll be honest with you. I remember, I don't quite remember how it went down where me and you started um, following one another on Twitter and then talking to each other. I, I believe that you followed me on YouTube or I followed you on YouTube and then that made me go look at your videos somehow mm-hmm. or I found one of your videos. And then like from there it was just like, oh yeah, this is super cool. I got to look at more of these things. <laughs> so <laughs> That really worked out for me. Um, you you mentioned playing uh, Demon Souls and yeah. that you, but it, when, how did you come to find out about that game? Because of all of the Souls games that, that have that have been released since Demon Souls? Like that was obviously the most obscure release out of any of them. Well, they had commercials out on TV for Demon Souls um, on cable. Um, I think. Oh, Demon really? Souls, yeah, I think Demon Souls came out in two thousand nine because it had been out in Japan for um, I don't know what six months or a year before that, maybe mm-hmm. more. Um, so um, and it was Bandai. Um, I'm pretty sure. No, was it Bandai that released? Atlas released it in North America. Okay. Anyway, they um, um, they started having a lot of uh, uh, gaming commercials um, on some of the smaller uh, cable channels, and um, the trailer a trailer came on for Demon Souls, and I saw that dragon with the double sided jaw and the teeth and roaring into the sky, you know, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> if that game comes anywhere close to feeling like how that image does, then I want to play that freaking game, you know? <laughs> so it was, a. I think it was about, uh, I don't know how much longer after the game actually came out, um, I was reading a lot of gaming magazines. So, um, and I um, was trying to figure out whether I wanted to watch, um, whether I wanted to play um, Dragon Age 1 or Demon Souls. So at that time I wasn't playing very many games and I would read about the game for a long time before I made a decision, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, it's one of those two, one of those two. And kind of dark aesthetic, I guess, grabbed me of Demon Souls and I played it. And it was just everything I wanted a video game to be. I mean, I grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons, you know. So I wanted a dungeon crawler. And I wanted stuff where you can walk down the hall and find things and discover things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and um, I also, it was just magical. I don't really know why. There was also something about the control over um, your character, too. Because you can make it do so many things in combat. And it was your choice to do all those things. Like, some people think that uh, a good combat mechanics in a video game is pressing a button once and your character does four different things. You know, that's not control. That's the <laughs> that's the game playing itself. Waggle for combo, right? Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. If like Shadows of Mordor. I mean, these, some of these games are cool and fun, um, but uh, um, you know, that's not really what what gets me going. And the fact that all of my decisions would be acted out by that little character when I was in combat just gave me that, you know wonderful feeling like I'm actually doing something in this game. So <clears throat> that was... Was, uh, was the difficulty um, something that you had to struggle with? Because I know when I first played Demon Souls, um, I still have the save file where I played for literally 45 minutes, didn't get to the first boss, and sent it right back <laughs> to Gamefly. <laughs> like, I was just like, this sucks. I don't ever want to play this again. <laughs> you know, I had been reading so much about the difficulty level of that game, and I grew up playing a lot of the... Um, the games from the 80, the late 80s and early 90s where they were really tough. Um, but I, I think I wanted to prove to myself that I actually was good at playing video games. So I didn't really consider the difficulty. And, and, and as a memory, it doesn't really stand out. I'm sure I had a hell of a time. And I probably cheated you know, in one form or another. Because you could, you could make yourself human in Demon's Souls, or you still can. And then as soon as you die, if you turn the game off really quick, then you're still where you were, you know, you don't have to lose your souls and everything. I forget mm-hmm. exactly how it worked, but there was a little trick there. Um, well, even now, the, the dupe glitch exists in Demon Souls, so if you, you know, if you just want to stay human all the time, like, you can just dupe all of your stones of ephemeral eyes, and then you have, you know, I think you end up with, like, 9,000 of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I, never, I never got that far, <laughs> yeah. but I probably would have if I would have known about it. 
<laughs> my uh, my second run I, when I tried to get um, when I, I finally went back and beat it legit and uh, on my second character I was like well I'm gonna go for all the trophies now so I'm just gonna you know dupe all these items I don't really wanna I don't really wanna have to like go through a lot of hurdles to do stuff so I was duping stuff back and forth and um, yeah it's it's fun like it's fun kind of cheesing those games a lot um, going in and kind of after dealing with the oppressive nature especially of Demon Souls Demon Souls is incredibly oppressive to me um, compared to the other Souls games the um being able to just like go through with your sword and just like whack 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 you're dead you're dead you're dead <laughs> like there's something kind of freeing about that it makes the game a lot of fun yeah definitely so did you go from from demons to dark souls or did you kind of were you cuz you said you weren't really playing a lot of games at that point um like were you sold on the series or did you skip to dark souls 2 oh you, oh yeah i mean anybody that would listen to me talk about demon souls <laughs> at that time i was nice. like I, I mean that's all i talked about there was a there was a couple guys that I worked with at this restaurant in Seattle, and they were both into games too. And every morning on the weekend, because I, I ran the, um, uh, the brunch line and came up with the menus and stuff, uh, they would come in and I would just start babbling about Demon Souls. You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you can do this, and you should have seen this boss, and you know, all that crap. I mean, I was just beside my. I don't think I'd been that excited about a game. Um, about any game, you know. Final Fantasy VII was a big turning point for me as far as getting back into games. And then Shadow of the Colossus a little later on kind of brought me into this age of games. Mm -hmm. I probably didn't play any game between age like 18 and, you know, 31 or 32. Wow, okay. Yeah, which is pretty much the opposite of how everybody else does it. So... Well, you know, that's that's, it's funny that you say that because as a kid, um, I'd played a lot of games, like I worked in a video game store, I did all that stuff, and then um, I moved from my hometown into a um, much better place to live, like a much cooler town, and I met like people to hang out with and girls that wanted to date me, and so I kind of dropped video games for a while, Mm -hmm. um, from about 18 to about... Well, there, there was one exception to that because I met my I met a girlfriend I met a girl at that time who was really into Diablo, <laughs> so me and her played a lot of Diablo together, and yeah, uh, we we so like we did that, but like I didn't have any consoles or anything like that, and that was pretty much the only thing that we played. Um, and then even after that, like me and her ended up getting married. We're, we're married now. Like it took me forever to buy a console. Like I just kind of ignored all that stuff, and then at some point I was like, man. Kind of, God, I want to play a video game, and then I, ever since I've been all back into it, <laughs> which is yeah. ridiculous. No, I had a very similar experience because it was actually um, my wife at the time um, who uh, got the PlayStation One, and she got Final Fantasy VII, and she was into games. I turned out to be a much bigger gamer, but you know, I hadn't touched them in so long. I was concentrating on you know just being a fuck up in general actually so um, and I can identify it, with that too don't worry yeah yeah so actually that final fantasy 7 she brought it in the house she bought it everything she started playing it and you know it kind of brought back that feeling of the early days when you know i was playing dungeon dragons with uh, my uncles and all the box games like the war of the roses and these indy 500 racing games and then later on you know just stupid little dungeon crawlers where all you see is like a hallway in front of you and then the monster is like this giant green blob but it was still you know it was first person and you're going down the hallway and you know i've always wanted that back in a video game and that's another reason why demons captured me so because it had that same that same feeling of discovery that same aesthetic you know of traveling through a world and being immersed in it Um, i can't um i can't tell you and i don't know if you've played them or not but i recently kind of messed around with the shadow tower games shadow tower abyss and then shadow tower and shadow tower 2 um, abyss and Uh that's i mean those are from software games, first person dungeon crawlers, awkward combat, finding stuff, weird creatures. Shadow Tower Two allows you to shoot appendages off of your enemies, <laughs> like you can shoot arms off. Um, I'll uh, after this, I'll drop you a link to a um, LP a friend of mine did, and um, <clears throat> she covered the first like I don't know how much of the game, and then I think she got the early copy of Dark Souls Three. So she has not finished that LP yet, but um, uh-huh. Allison, if you're listening, I'm blaming you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you should you should if you have some time and there you can emulate both of them um, with a, a decent PC and you should you should probably take a look at those. I think you'd get a big kick out of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things about the modern gaming is wanting is that immersion of being inside the game. 
Um, it's why I'm kind of excited about the whole VR thing, because instead of those VR headsets, you don't have to use them as a VR. You can use them just as a large gaming screen, and that would definitely amount to um, add to an immersion in a video game. I think there was a picture of a Sony guy, or maybe it was a guy from FromSoft, who was playing Dark Souls with uh, one of those on. And it wasn't a VR Dark Souls, you know, Dark Souls 3. It was yeah, just a giant... It was, it was just the, the screen being all up in his face. Shue Yoshida did that. Um, yeah. I saw that picture running around, and I was like, well, if he, he can do that, then the game is out. Give me the game already. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about the VR thing. But yeah, you're, you're right. That, that's... Uh, I'm I'm tentatively interested in the VR stuff, and we'll bring it back down to over Souls again in a minute. But, like, I, I'm just... I watch the streams and stuff because Giant Bomb has been doing streams of the Oculus and the Vive, and it -hmm. seems like very early software. And I'm like, I look at the PlayStation 4 coming out in October, and I'm like, I just don't know if this is for me. Like, I just don't know. And I've I've got one reserved because it doesn't cost anything to reserve stuff on Amazon, so why why wouldn't you at this point just to make sure you have one? But I I just don't know if I'm going to be able to pull the trigger on it. I'll probably end up canceling it and buying like a gaming PC or Xbox One or something because I'm yeah. terrible with money. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> talk to me about Dark Souls 1. After uh, Demon Souls and I was talking to everybody about it, uh, one of the guys I was talking to uh, came in and said, I heard that they're going to release a, a Dark Souls game, the same people that did Demon Souls, um, and they're releasing it. On, he didn't have a PlayStation 3. He just had an Xbox. Um, so he couldn't play you know, the Demon Souls. And so he was kind of excited after hearing me talk about it. So from there, I was just watching every magazine release that had anything to do with, you know, uh, Dark Souls. Any article. <laughs> I was fixated on that game coming out. And I was at, you know, that that morning I was at the video store buying the damn thing. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, actually it was a better experience than even Demon Souls. I think I knew what to expect a little bit more from the gameplay. Um, I was a little better at it, and also the world fascinated me a little more. Um, it was a little less clunky. The graphics were a little better. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, I was just a mess after <laughs> after I got Dark Souls. <laughs> Pretty much nothing existed for about three months. <laughs> I know exactly, except it's been about six years for me, I think. <laughs> it's been pretty much my life for six years. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's 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 a hell of a game. Um, I had never actually played a game twice. You know, I play a game once, and that was it for a long time. Never came back to it. I think there was a, but you know, I loved Demon Souls and Dark Souls so much, and I came across an article online about if you're a true Dark Souls fan, then you know these ten things. So I thought I was a true Dark Souls fan. So I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, I don't know who only Afro is and what the giant dad is. You know, I don't know who Vatividia is or EMB. It's like, what, what, what the hell's going on? I do remember that towards the end of the Demon Souls, they. Um, on YouTube, you, they started having these big tournaments, um, uh, PvP tournaments, and I watched a couple of those, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, wow, you have two people, and one guy in Japan, and another guy in Canada, and they're fighting in this video game on the television screen, you know? That's, <laughs> and then, that's and recording freaking... it, and they put it in on YouTube so that yeah. I can watch it. <laughs> uh, you know, that was really the gaming change completely after that. And people's idea of gaming and the social relationship in gaming. I mean, it, it, Demon Souls and Dark Souls just they they change so much about how we look at games, how we interact playing games. You know, so so you, you didn't have much difficulty with Dark Souls one moving over to that. And just, just out of curiosity, like when you first started up Dark Souls one, what, what kind of build did you end up with? And you don't have to really say like 17 strength or anything like that, but like what kind of weapons were you using and things like that? How did you progress through the game? Well, I had no idea about builds because, you know, I, w- I had no idea about an online community. I don't think there really was one. Um, but so my first, I didn't have a build. My build was randomly putting numbers in different slots. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole concept of, you know, doing certain, you know, I wanted to obviously have more health and more endurance and then put more stuff into strength or dexterity. But, you know, I, I, my distribution was pretty much even. There was no build at all, um, but w- w- which works fine for a PvE experience. 
And actually, there are some good ways to uh, uh, good ways to approach it. Good good reasons to approach it that way, because it allows you to do everything in the game. You know, your first playthrough, you can use all the magic if you're distributing points evenly. You can use every weapon, you know, and you can really get a feel for what the game can do. Um, so I can become like a uh, like a jack of all trades, where you can just use any weapon that you want to. Yeah, and I, I kind of approached the, the games afterwards uh, like that because, you know, I want to see what a weapon can do. I don't want to find a weapon and realize I can't use it because I need 30 more f- freaking, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be able to swing the damn thing, see what the move set's like, see if I like it. So even for Dark Souls 3, I, I will probably just have a quality build, you know, but yeah. kind of raise all my stats so that I can try a lot of different things out. Are you pretty much a sword and board or kind of guy, or is it? Do you, do you like to mix in the magic stuff as well? Um, I do, but I always end up just using a weapon. Every time I do a magic build, I end up playing it like <laughs> <laughs> playing it like you know a, a, a dexterity or a strength build. So it's kind of stupid. Um, so my general preference is going for um, uh, um, um, miracles, just because that can integrate into a you know. A fighter of some sort, in mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. in an easier manner. Utility but magic, I, not, as, yeah. as opposed to offensive magic. Exactly, exactly. So um, I do. I would like to play um, just a straight up ma- magician, a uh, straight up magic user. But the whole magic arrow thing is just so freaking redundant. I mean, it's like do <laughs> do do. You know, it's like how many times can you stand twenty feet away and shoot a you know one of the bosses in the face? I mean, it's not really fun. So. Going by the amount of times that I sunburned for ONS with the, my crazy overpowered magic build, I can say probably about five or six hundred before you get real bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving to, to Dark Souls 2, and um, Dark Souls 2 is actually one of the, besides your videos, is one of the reasons that I wanted you to come on this podcast. Um, I don't I don't know if you know this or not, and you have to because I, I know you listen to Twin Humanities, um, mm-hmm. but... Uh, you were kind of credited towards by CJ Coffee Jesus from Twin Humanities of kind of given him an alternate look that has since gone on to inspire a whole host of people that I, some of which I know personally, to really change their opinion on Dark Souls Two. Are you are you aware of this at all? Do you know that any of this exists? Like you have to, right? No, actually, I kind of try to pay attention to those things now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and I remember the morning that I talked to Coffee Jesus about it. Um, but I, since then, I didn't really, I didn't really see anything referred to it, and he kind of ignored me afterwards. <laughs> no so I didn't really think anything of it. I, I, um, I figured I know from talking to him later that it did have our conversation had an impact on him. But uh, um, I, that was about it. Dark Souls Two was a controversial game for a lot of reasons, one of which was the lore, um, and it would it took. A couple of, I guess it was about a year, and I guess you and CJ had a conversation about um, specifically Lucatil, um, about how some of the things that were happening around in your life around those times, and how you identified that in the game, and, and vice versa, and that inspired CJ then to talk about his feelings about the game, um, and to come around to kind of your not your way of thinking, but to to I guess to resonate more emotionally with the characters in Dark Souls 2 and uh-huh. CJ is, is an incredibly eloquent person and when he talks about that on his podcast and more, most recently when I had him on this show which was just a couple of episodes ago um, he talked he specifically mentioned you and, and having him form that feeling and I don't know if you're comfortable talking about that and anybody and if you're not that's totally fine like it's kind of you know I know CJ has talked about it and everything like that but no, I'm man fine. that's um, the just the depth of emotion <laughs> that you guys brought into that game really inspired me to look at that game differently and to see that, wow, there is actually something here, even yeah. if it's not quite as obvious. And calling Dark Souls 1 obvious is, is a stretch, but even yeah. if it's not as obvious as Dark Souls 1 is, do you still, when you when you, when you you play these games, are you, are you looking for those connections? Or no, is, is that something all. that just happened? Yeah, definitely. It just happens. Um, I was a huge uh, Dark Souls 2 uh uh, Defender when it came out and I think that was just because I loved Dark Souls the whole franchise so much and I just didn't like all the the crap it was getting 
Um, I was having just fun playing in the world, regardless of everything else. It's not, it hasn't been really until recently that uh, um, I went from Bloodborne to Dark Souls 2 that I realized, like, oh, Jesus, man, <laughs> there's some definite <laughs> problems with this game. Because um, I don't approach games in that manner. I don't approach games real critically like that. They're either fun to play or they're not fun to play. Um, of course, my attitudes toward things has kind of developed since then, but it's still, it's that same basic approach. Uh, so uh, I was a big defender of Dark Souls 2 at that time, and I got into a lot of arguments um, with people online about it, um, and I felt really righteous about the fact that the, the game had still had a lot to offer, um, and there were... People were just totally. In order to criticize something, you have to do, you have to grab onto a specific argument. And if you want to criticize something well, then you need to stick to that argument. But in the process of that, they lost a whole a whole level of subtlety that was happening in certain areas of that game. One of the biggest problems with Dark Souls Two is the first half of the game until you get to the castle. Nothing really happens. You don't get that many interesting weapons. You don't get that many interesting you know armor sets. And there's not a whole lot of lore stuff except that you're fighting the, the old, you know, the, the new keepers of the Lord Souls, so to speak. Um, but once you got to the castle, then it expanded. Meanwhile, there was a f- certain amount of things happening with some of the, um, the NPCs. And Lucatil in particular caught my attention um, because the reason I moved out of the city and into the, this small town in southern Oregon was because uh, my stepfather, who is pretty much my mentor, um, he's in his early 90s now. And uh, he grew up in New York. Um, and he's been a painter his whole life. And he actually was part of the abstract expressionist movement in New York during the, um, the middle 40s. And uh, so he had a huge influence on me. And I had been kind of absent from my family for quite a while. And I felt obligated to, uh, not obligated, I felt like I needed to um, help where I could. He had slowly developed dementia where um, he was just forgetting little things. I mean, he still knows who he is, but, uh, um, you know, he forgot when he saw you during the day or, you know, forgot what we had for dinner the last night, or he kept asking me, did I open the garage, did I get the mail, those kind of things. Well, over the course of me being here, it's gradually gotten worse. Um, And, you know, since he was my mentor, my relationship with him changed completely, and not for the better. So it it was a real emotional um, time period, because I was still getting used to the fact that Arthur was this way now, and I couldn't interact with him like the way he was before. I mean, he just wasn't the same person anymore. And that was pretty difficult to come to, come to terms with. So understanding Lucatiel and her story really had a huge impact on me about this whole idea of losing your center, um, losing who you are, your memories, what makes you you. I mean, if you lose who you are, it, it, that it has to be worse than just losing losing your life because if you don't have an identity if you don't have a center if you don't have a consciousness then what is there i mean it's just chaos pretty much so i empathize deeply with this character and what she was going through and then more so as the latter half of the game went on with the whole process of going hollow you know and what it really means and what it would really be like so that kind of deepened my determination to be an asshole online to anybody <laughs> that wanted to criticize the game. <laughs> I mean, I understood intellectually where they were coming from and why they're, you know, what the criticisms were for, and they're all deserved to a certain extent. But I think it got to a point where people were just hammering at home because they wanted to be assholes rather than actually giving a legitimate criticism towards the game and then giving the due that it deserved also. 
Yeah, there's a huge contingent that decided, hey, this game doesn't have the Miyazaki touch. It was made by Team B. Like, those those are common phrases thrown out in the Dark Souls community. I can't stand Team B. I, oh, I think Team I know, B. I team it's B so frustrating. Team B and artificial difficulty are the two worst <laughs> terms that have ever been invented in gaming. I just, I, I start turning red and I want to start grabbing the computer and yelling at people. But I try not to do that as much anymore now that I have a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> well, since in playing Dark Souls 2 and and having this immensely personal connection to the game and what was happening in your own life, I, for me, I, I play video games pretty much to blow off steam or to have fun. Um, I've, I, I can definitely see how games are emotional things and I can, I have, games have given me emotions, obviously, like, you know, I've been happy or sad or whatever and... You know, there's been games, Shadow of the Colossus, it's a good one, where you get real involved in the story and the characters and the guy that you're playing. Um, I find it interesting that Dark Souls would do that, and I'm not saying that's bad or anything, I just find it very interesting. Does it, when you go back to replay that game, does that, do you still have that, I guess? Is it, like, does it, does it, is it still in effect in your mind? Because when I approach it, like a new playthrough of Dark Souls, it's like, okay, I'm going to go get the scythe. And then I'm going to go yeah. get this armor, and then I'm going to go kill this boss. Like in your head, does it, do any of those emotions kind of come up, and does it affect the way that you play the game at all? Not really. I mean, you know, Dark Souls can be played in so many different ways. Um, whether if you can look for the story, or PvP, or just PVE, and uh, or just setting challenges for yourself. So I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. Um, so when I'm playing it, no, but you know, you reinvestigate those ideas when they come along. So when I hear Luca Teal talk about going hollow and losing her memory and her brother or whatever, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, intellectually, I, I, I think about that repercussion and where I'm at now. But it's not necessarily an emotional experience. Um, there was a lot of reasons Dark Souls 2 was an emotional experience at the time because of the criticism and because of some of the um some of the themes that it had so hmm. when you went from dark souls 2 to bloodborne um did did any of that carry over or was this like a whole fresh perspective and you were just kind of ready to get back into it because of the mechanics and because it was a whole new world to explore well everybody's attitude towards bloodborne was different as it was coming out too um, there was a lot, the, the, the expectation was a lot less, um, towards Bloodborne because of what happened with Dark Souls 2. Uh, so I think people were a little more guarded about like, they, nobody was just going on the hype train completely at that point. Um, and then I wasn't even going to play Bloodborne actually, um, because, um, I didn't have a PlayStation 4 and, uh, um, and at the time I didn't really want to spend the money for it. And so I wasn't really paying attention to it at all. <laughs> you know, I just kind of was dismissing it. And I would think I was purposely not looking for stuff because I knew that if I did, it would be emotionally devastating to me. <laughs> the fact <laughs> yeah. that I couldn't play the damn game, you know. So I just kind of put, put it out of my mind. And then a certain few things happened about a week before the game came out. And all of a sudden, the day before, I had a play, you know, or the Friday before, um, I had a PlayStation 4 suddenly. I could play the game. I got the digital download, and then all of a sudden, I was super fucking excited. I was playing. It was nine o'clock on a Monday night. You know, I slept all afternoon so that I could stay up all night and play the thing. So it was kind of a you know a nothing to everything experience with Bloodborne, and then all of a sudden, I was in the middle of the game, and Bloodborne has you know other than Dark Souls One, Bloodborne is one of the best experiences I've had playing game. So. Really? Is it is it your favorite game out of the out of the four that you've played so far? It's so hard to make that comparison. You know, it's okay. so, you know, although Demon Souls was my first experience, um, and I loved it, but Dark Souls has always been my true love, so to speak, um, as far as gaming goes, because it did everything that Demon Souls did, but it did a lot of things a little better, <clears throat> and uh, um, so when I think back to Dark Souls one or not think back, but you know what I mean. Um, and then I put it to Bloodborne. Not only are the environments different, uh, the type of gameplay is a little different, um, but also the graphics, um, which adds to your sense of immersion, is different for me. So I can say, you know, Dark Souls in so many different ways is a great game, 
but it also feels like an unfinished game. You know, there's certain levels that just that aren't very good at all, from Blight Town to Lost Isolith. You know, it's just kind of half-ass. As many I, I could probably argue with you on Blight Town. That's one of my favorite areas in Dark Souls. <laughs> but, yeah, I, but, but I understand exactly what you're saying, so don't, don't yeah, bad. No, no, I don't mean that Blight... Uh, you know, I should clarify that. It's more of the... You know, I still play Dark Souls on the PlayStation 3. Um, I don't play it on the PC, so the frame rate is just god-awful. Oh, yeah. And normally I don't care about those kind of things. But I did in this circumstance because I was recording for it recently. You know, so it was just like, oh, I can't even put this in a video, you know, uh, because it just looks like crap. So, I mean, in those little things, uh, towards the end of Dark Souls, there's a couple areas that don't really feel fleshed out. Um, <clears throat> but the NPCs in Dark Souls 1 are the best in any game, even better than Bloodborne. And their stories are so large and full. And um, you get to meet them in so many different places, and it's unexpected. Uh, that, you know, it, it, there's just something magical about that game. Um, but Bloodborne, you know, it's the, the videos that I've been doing for Bloodborne gave me a whole new perspective on the game, how the game worked, the lore. Um, so I have a, a different relationship with Bloodborne than I do with Dark Souls. So one is better than the other, maybe, I don't know. I kind of lean towards Bloodborne sometimes just because I like it's it's more fun to play for me at times because of the graphics, because of the, the weapon set, because of the movement, you know, that kind of thing. But they're probably about equal. Were you um having not been paying attention to the you know the hype around Bloodborne as it was about to be released? Were you totally completely shocked when the big twist happens in the middle of Bloodborne? Were you kill Rom and all of a sudden like the hints that this has been going, something weird is going on it's not just a werewolf game and then all of a sudden like oh shit I'm in this weird city <laughs> like the moon the blood moon is coming down what is going on <laughs> no you know I had read I, I, I'm a I'm a big horror story reader and stuff mm-hmm. I did I guess it I didn't see it as that big of a change um I, I saw there was a lot of connection between the two um so I heard about this big twist and I was always where's the big twist where's the big twist so I was past rum. I'm like, where's the big twist? <laughs> you know, I think probably the fact that I knew that there was going to be a big twist created the problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, you know th- that gets to the um, the conversation about spoilers that I that, that I've been ranting about on my Twitter quite a bit. Of you know, even if you say that something doesn't exist, it's a spoiler. Like it, it's telling something. It's telling something about the game to somebody that doesn't want to know about it. Like if I told you, don't worry. You know, there's no twist in Dark Souls three. Like, well, I don't, I don't even want to know that. Like, I don't want to know the absence of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I can. Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, Bloodborne. Although I knew this the story for Dark Souls uh, relatively well, not in a lot of specifics. Um, I played the games for similar reasons that you said, um, where I just loved being in the world. Uh, I love the mechanics of the combat. You know, I, I love the graphics, and um, but with Bloodborne, because of the, the type of videos I started making, I really, it was a first game, I got the, you know, the book, um, and, uh, um, and I started reading all the descriptions, and I started going through the game and looking at all the architecture, and looking where things were placed, and, you know, just really investigating and trying to piece it together on my own. I didn't really do that for Dark Souls at the time, or even Dark Souls 2. So my I had a much richer experience in some ways playing Bloodborne. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, Dark Souls 3, you're, you're picking it up on the PS4, I'm guessing? Yeah, yeah. You've uh, you've already got the copy reserved. You're going to be there at midnight, or probably early earlier because the game releases on your time zone at probably 9 p.m. the day before. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I did that for Dark Souls too, and I didn't. Get, I you know, I live in such a small town. I don't think it was, you know, it might have been, but I didn't want to do that at the time. So I went. You know, I was waiting in line, and there was actually a line. I mean, I live in a town that's like 50,000 people, mm-hmm. and there's one stupid mall, and so. There was a line in the mall before any of the shops opened for Dark Souls, and I was like, wow. I'm "Yeah, I couldn't believe that." And, That's amazing. Uh, 
Yeah, so I was uh, um, I was at the front of that line actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to be. Make sure you get a copy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so um, for Dark Souls three, um, I'm doing the same thing as Bloodborne. I'm just gonna. I got a. I ordered. I wanted to get a physical copy this time, mm-hmm. but uh, because Amazon said that it would might be two days after. Yeah. Um, the release before I got it, and with this whole shenanigans going on with Bamco and the staggered release, that was just not acceptable. I just <laughs> that's just something I can't deal with. So I went ahead and reserved the digital copy, and um, I'll play it. You know, it'll be released since I'm on the West Coast at 9 p.m. on Monday. Yeah. So I'm sleeping and I'm staying up all night. Nice, nice. I'm not going to do that. I like to. Um, I'm kind of an early morning guy, so I like to. Get a good night's rest, wake up, you know, five, six in the morning, brew a pot of coffee, sit down, get comfortable, and then play all freaking day and just go yeah. as far as I can. So, Well, no, I am too. I get up at like 3.30 in the morning most uh, almost every day. But, you know, I had so much fun doing this the last time, um, sleeping in the afternoon and starting play and playing until when I, usually when I wake up. Um, it was just such a blast. That uh, and it's so different than how I usually the my usual routine is that uh, um, you know it kind of makes it like an event, um, even though it's my event. <laughs> oh no, I, I totally agree. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like being part of a Souls launch is so cool and so awesome that Namco taking that away from us with this split release has been really irritating. Like, yeah, I, I love finding out everything and along with the community. And now I'm like, you can go to the wiki and like a lot of stuff's already filled out and I'm kind of bummed. So yeah, it's been you know, kind of a disappointment. I still think it's going to be pretty cool. Nonetheless. I, I, I do too. I do too. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm overly negative, but I think it's going to be amazing. Like I think I'm, I am ready for Tuesday to happen. So like all of us Twitter buds that do nothing but talk about dark souls on Twitter <laughs> can all like start yelling at each other and like, did you get to the thing? I got to the thing. No, the other thing. Did you get to the thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, where can they find you on the internet? My Twitter address is at Neoloki55, and you can link from there to uh, to my YouTube channel. So, And uh, just one last time, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about all of your experiences with the Souls games. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. It's been an honor. It's been really cool. As always, you can find me, Jeremy Greer, at JG Greer on Twitter, and you can find this podcast and more at darkinsight.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.